0: Honored to be here, honored to spend time with you. Uh, But really want to thank uh, whoever brought these stairs up. Um, I was analyzing the situation. I didn't know if I'd have to box jump up here, how to get here. So whoever those guys are, I truly appreciate that. I'm here with my wife, Tracy. Uh, We've been married 31 years. So... We have four children, uh, Anna, Rachel, uh, Elijah, Benjamin, Anna is now married, uh, her husband Cam, and we have two uh, grandchildren, so we are extremely blessed, uh, extremely honored uh, to be here, and looking really forward to spending some time with y'all and just kind of sharing my story, uh, sharing how God has worked in my life and through my life Um but before I get started, I, I do want to say, if you are a first-time guest, uh, please come back next week, okay? Do not base your experience on, on this. Uh, JP is an amazing teacher. Uh, you'll love Summit Church, and you'll love to be involved with them, but please come back next week. Give them a, give them a fair shot, okay? Uh, with that being said, I want, uh, want to tell you a little bit about my life, and in order for me to talk about my life, really need to talk about my dad and mom Um, I feel like my life has really been shaped uh, by my mom's prayers and my dad's presence. Um, And my dad, I had uh, the opportunity to watch him coach, watch him play. He played 13 years in the NFL. Um, He coached for 16 years in the NFL coached in Super Bowls, played in Super Bowls. Uh, You would not know this fact unless I told you, so I'm going to tell you because I love my dad. Uh, He holds the NFL record for most interceptions by a linebacker. Uh, 37, yep. Thank you. And we feel like, as a family, I have four brothers, we feel like that record will never be broken. We want people to get close, so they'll mention my dad's name, but we don't want anyone to break it. And so part of my my talk is about prayer. I want you to know prayer works. Ray Lewis was getting close. We prayed he'd retire, and he did. Okay, so true statement. With that being said, the thing that I think is most fascinating about my dad, and that is a great fact, and he was an amazing father, amazing husband. The thing that I think is most fascinating about my dad is he is credited with a game-saving tackle of Gail Sayers' in the open field, okay? So for young guys in here, you don't know who Gale Sayers is, most dynamic guy really in the 60s. Uh, If he hadn't had two knee surgeries, he came back from one, had an amazing career after that. If he hadn't had those, his yardage, all of the things were unbelievable. Scored six touchdowns in one game, kickoff return, punt return, rushing touchdown, receiving touchdown, unbelievable athlete, amazing athlete. Okay. If I were to describe my dad, I would not say unbelievable athlete, amazing athlete. That's not how I would describe my dad. I'd describe my dad as a smart player, um, a well-trained player, a disciplined player. But when you talk athletic ability, Don Shinnick, Gail Gale Sayers, not on the same league. But my dad is credited with tackling Gale Sayers in the open field on a game winning drive. My dad played right outside linebacker, so right about where Pastor, his wife, and my mom are sitting, that's where my dad was. Gail Sayers was in the backfield. It was fourth and five. Um, whatever pass routes they had on, I have no idea, but Gail swang out of the backfield and was one on one with my dad. And so if I am the quarterback and if I was grading the quarterbacks, I would go great decision, throw to Gail, one on one with Don Chinnick. Simple, well done. Well, the quarterback does that, looks back, sees the coverage, throws to Gail Sayers. Gail catches it, and two yards downfield, my dad tackles him, short of the first down, game over. At the end of the game, they're interviewing my dad, and this will give you a little insight into how I was raised, and hopefully how today goes. Um, they said, Don, you tackled Gale Sayers in the open field. Can you tell us how you did it? And he said, yeah, Gale's an amazing athlete. We all know that, right? I goes, yeah. My dad didn't say, and I'm not, but that's what he was thinking. He said, "Um, Gail made his first move, and I reacted to it. Okay, then what happened? Well, Gail made his second move. Well, what did you do? I was still reacting to his first move. And then Gail made his third move, and he ran into me, and we both fell down. So that's really how I grew up. I grew up with some humor. I grew up with some honesty, okay? And again, I credit my parents for really where I stand today. I had to make a decision uh, to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I had to make a decision early as to how I was going to live and what that was going to look like. But my father's presence and my mother's prayers really shaped me into who I am. And so I can't tell you the day I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, But as I look back now, there's never been a time where I've doubted that he wasn't. I knew at a young age, having grown up in church and having been in Sunday school and listened and my parents constantly talking about who Christ is and what the impact that he has in his life. And first off, the fact that my folks are Christian parents, that's an amazing thing. Both of them came from divorced families. Both of them were raised in really two different types of backgrounds back in the 50s. My mom had six different fathers by the time she was 18. Her mom got married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced. She'd show up in the second grade and this person was her half-brother. She'd show up in the third grade and they weren't their brother, half-brother anymore. Think of the people in and out of her house. My dad grew up in a very uh, demanding, performing father a father who just flat out only wanted works-related results. His father came to watch him play when he was uh, playing in L.A. My dad was named defensive uh, player of the game, had an interception, fumble recovery, and I think nine tackles. First thing his dad says to him is, hey, you missed uh, two tackles in the third quarter, and you could have hustled more in the fourth. That's the type of environment that my parents grew up in. Without Jesus Christ, which they both accepted in their early 20s, without Jesus Christ in their life, they would never have the testimony that they have and they would never have the impact that they had because Christ changed their lives. And Christ changed how they looked at life. Christ changed how they raised children. And Christ changed who they were and how they continued to live throughout the course of their life. So I'm a benefactor of that. And I'm very grateful for that. But when I made the decision to accept Jesus Christ into my life, I knew there was a void in my life that only he could fill. I knew that I had sin in my life and I understood that Christ died on the cross after living 33 years on earth, fully God, fully man, and took on the burden of my sin on the cross. And then three days later, he rose so that then I could have the opportunity to accept him as Lord and Savior, and live with him in eternity. And so I understood that, but here's what I want you to know. Over the course of the last 50 plus years, my understanding of that has just grown. And the joy and the peace and the love that comes with that is more amazing than it was when I made that original decision. And as we just sang songs that play right into everything I'm gonna talk about today, that's really the essence of what I feel my life is. How do I grow closer to Christ in my daily walk? Now, my life has not been without heartache. Uh, My dad passed away 20 years ago. Uh, My life has not been without sorrow. And as was mentioned here in Matthew five, I mean, the foundation that's been built though has allowed me to look at all the negative and all the um, difficulties in my life through a lens of I have a firm foundation. It's based on Christ. He is at the center of it. And so what I want my life to be is really a summary of what Romans 6, 1 through 12 is. All right? In Romans 6, 1 through 12, we are dead to sin. It does not rule over us. We are alive in Christ so that we might walk in the newness of life. Think of that. The newness of life that comes. We are dead to sin. Sin has no control over us. We are alive in Christ. I wanna live a life that's alive in Christ. I wanna live a life that represents him to my fullest, And I wanna do that so that I can honor and glorify him with the life that he has given me and the life that he has led me to live. We serve a big God, a big, big God. But I think all too often we live little lives. We do not live the big life that God has in store for us. We allow the enemy to take us away from that life to rob us of joy, to rob us of peace, to rob us of the love that our heavenly father has for us on a daily basis. When I pray, I want you to know, and I'm gonna talk about my prayer life. When I pray, I pray to the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay? I pray to a really big God, okay? I pray to a God that when he says uh, he created, he created it. I pray to a God that when he says he flooded it, it flooded. I pray to a God when he says he parted it, it parted. I pray to a God when he allowed his son to walk on water, he walked on water. And I also pray to a God that says when it's a sin, it's a sin. His word has not changed. His word is not deviated from its standard that was set. His word is alive and well. It's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It does not change. As I've been reading through the Bible over and over, and I'll talk about that in here in a little bit, Couple verses that really stick out. And I think, man, they speak so much to where we are today and so much as to what we have today. Deuteronomy 12, 8. You shall not do what we are doing here today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. That could have been written yesterday because it applies to today. Think of that statement. You shall not do what we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. Without God, every man is going to do what's right in his own eyes. Without a centerpiece to guide us and know how we should live and what it should look like, we are going to do whatever is right in our own eyes. 1 Corinthians, New Testament reference to the same thing, 319, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. We have a lot of people saying a lot of things and they have been. And again, I wasn't around in the 1700s, the 1500s. I'm sure it was the same because this applies to wherever we're at, but I'm around now. And the wisdom of this world that I'm living in is foolishness in God's eyes. Romans 1.22, professing to be wise, they became fools. Think of that. We have a lot of people saying a lot of things. God's word is the truth. God's word has not changed. God's word needs to be the centerpiece of who we are and what we do. I'm gonna talk about my career here a little bit, but one verse that has stood out to me in how you know guiding me and directing me on the path that I'm now currently on, and it really was a satisfying verse that just kind of set me up as to, okay, Lord, how do you wanna use me? Do I have to be uh, like JP? And do I have to be a pastor to be used by you? Do I have to go on a mission field and do that? How do you wanna use me, Lord? What do you want? Where do you want me? And really Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, so I can coach and do this, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for man. I feel called to coaching I'll share with you that direct calling uh, about five years into my career here a little later. But whatever God has called you to do, whatever corporation you work for, own your own business, teacher, coach, whatever it is, do it wholeheartedly for the Lord. And do it in a way that pleases God, not man. That may mean you don't get the promotion like the other guy. That may mean uh, you get a setback, a difficulty, But always, whatever you do, do it to please the Lord. Um, I said earlier, my life really shaped dad's presence, mom's prayers. My mom was an amazing woman of prayer. And really the first person that I ever saw just take subjects, pray for them, commit them uh, to her daily life. Um, I call my mom now. She's 85 years old. She'll tell me she's praying for me. And she'll ask me what she can pray for. And I love that. And I love that my mom is praying for me. And I love that my, my life has really been shaped by her prayers. And so my prayer life, as I've learned and watched that, has really grown throughout the course of time. My first real verbal expression of prayer other than praying for a meal around the uh, table or something like that, came early, I think seven, eight years old, somewhere around there. Uh, My parents were going uh, out of town and we lived close enough to church that we could walk to church. And my parents uh, said, look, if it rains, you guys do not have to go to church. So my first thought was, okay, we've been talking about prayer. I'm gonna put these two things together. And so I have an older brother, Josh, he's two and a half years older than me. So I shared this great idea with him. Hey, Josh, if it rains, we don't have to go to church. So let's pray that it rains. Mom and dad said, if we pray and two or more are together, he is with us. I was like, this is awesome. I've tapped into something. And then my brother Josh did what any older brother would have done. Uh, He slapped me upside the head and said, dude, who do you think you're praying to? The same guy who wants you to go to church. I took note of that, okay? I did. I've always tried to learn from where I was. And here's where I learned that God really has a, a great sense of humor. Um, and God enjoys his children and he loves his children. I walked to church. It was sunny. I sat in church. It was sunny. I got 100 yards from church and it started raining. And it rained the entire walk home. So my second real, probably life-changing prayer Uh, Came in praying for jobs, okay? Um, And, you know, I've learned that, okay, where do I wanna go? Where do I wanna be? Tracy and I got married, um, and we were at Clemson, and so we spent a year at Clemson, and then we spent two years at Oregon State University, so we went up to Corvallis, Oregon, really liked that, rained a lot, didn't enjoy that, and then my third job was in Marquette, Michigan. And um, it snows a lot in Marquette, Michigan, okay? It snowed 269 inches the nine months we were there. That's a lot of snow. That's way more snow than I ever wanted in my entire lifetime. So they say there's two types of coaches, uh, those that uh, have been fired and those that are going to be fired, okay? So I had not been fired yet, but I go to Marquette, Michigan, my head coach gets fired. And now I get fired. So now I'm the guy that has been fired. So when that happens, total new staff, total new changeover. So I started praying, Lord, we do not like the snow. My wife's born and raised in South Carolina. Lord, if you can take us out of the snow. Lord, if you could move us Southwest of Marquette, Michigan. And in my mind, God and I are on the same page. That's Texas, Arizona, Southern California. Lord, move us Southwest of Marquette, Michigan. God was gracious. I was able to get another job. I'll talk about that prayer here in a little bit. Um, uh, My next job was in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Exactly six hours Southwest of Marquette, Michigan. Okay, first off, got to know what to pray for, all right? Figured that out early. Second, got to be really specific when you pray, okay? Don't, don't, don't leave anything out there. Let's, let's be wise. Um, so as I grew and as I learned and as I grew closer to God, I really was unafraid to put anything out there in front of him and so obviously prayed about my career, blessed to be here. I've actually been here eight years. We've played five seasons, been to two national championships, been to the playoffs three times, we became the fastest team in NCAA history to make the playoffs. No. And so have not, have not shied away from, Lord, we want you involved. Lord, we want you to be a part of this. Lord, how can I live for you? And how can I lead this team that you want me to lead the way you want me to lead it? So our first year, we've become the fastest team in NCAA history, to um, our Division II history, to make the playoffs. We did it in our second year. The first program I started at UNC Pembroke, we did it in our third year. So one of my private prayers, didn't go public with it, was, Lord, I'd like to make the playoffs in our second year just because that just shows you're in control of this thing and you're amazing. So we do, in our second year, we go. And in going... We weren't hosting home games, so we had to go on the road. So the first game we play in North Carolina, I'm like, okay, that's cool. I, be, I just came from North Carolina, I understand weather there. Second game, um, we play in Georgia. I'm like, okay, I've been to Georgia, playing actually a team that we, we had beat week nine. Uh, you know, So, okay, felt good about that. Third week, we gotta go over to Alabama, play a team that we lost to. I'm like, okay, we can handle that, beat them. And then what happens is they take the last four teams and they say, we're going to send you to wherever the least ranked team is. Well, we were the least ranked team. So we knew we were going on the road. And so our option was either we were going to Texas or we are going to uh, Pennsylvania. And I'm like, Lord, send us to Texas. It's much warmer. Send us to Texas. Well, we didn't go to Texas. We went to Pennsylvania. So as soon as they told us where we were going, I could have cared less what front they lined up in. I could have cared less what they did on offense. I went right to the weather channel to find out what the weather was going to be. Because I got a bunch of Florida and South Alabama guys that really don't experience cold weather or snow, okay? So now I got to take them on the road and that's where I got to go. It was 19 degrees in Pennsylvania and it was 85 in Pensacola. I, I had one prayer, one sincere prayer, earnest prayer. Lord, you have got to lower the temperature in Pensacola and you got to raise it in Pennsylvania. Monday, we went out to practice. We had buckets of ice for our wide receivers and DBs to stick their hands in. We froze the footballs. Uh, We had arranged to uh, go do warm-ups and do uh, some drills in an ice warehouse. If you haven't caught a frozen football, it's not fun. If you haven't thrown a frozen football, it's not easy. So we were trying to prepare everything that we possibly could do while we had ice out there to try to get our guys used to it. We were throwing ice down so that our O-line and D-line would put their hands in in the ice it all melted 15 minutes into practice so then I just had buckets of water it was 84 degrees on Monday and it was 20 degrees in Pennsylvania I was like okay I gotta I gotta be a little more specific here Lord you got to get us really cold in in, uh, Pensacola and you got to raise it in Pennsylvania Tuesday it was about 75 Wednesday we had a 25 degree shift uh, we went from 74 degrees to 59 or uh, 49 degrees, and we had wind chill and rain. Thursday is the coldest day I've ever had in um, Florida. It was sideways rain. Wind chill was about 33 degrees. We actually canceled going into the warehouse because I was like, "We're already freezing. There's no reason to do it." Okay. Tuesday it was 22 degrees in Pennsylvania. Wednesday it was uh, 26 degrees. Thursday uh, it was 28 degrees. Game day 33 degrees, sunshiny. We go out, play the best game we've ever played, win the game. Praise God. <laughs> now, the the beauty the beauty of that, okay? The beauty of that is um, we leave, and the next day. It snows five inches. People sending us photos, the parents who didn't fly back on the flight that we had, it snows six inches and they're saying, it's 13 degrees wind chill right now. This is the coldest day they've ever seen. So my prayer to God was, Lord, I'm gonna leave this to you. You know what my team needs to play in. You know how uh, this needs to work. Fast forward to 2019, we're in the exact same position, but this time, okay, this time we're going to Michigan. Okay, and so I had shared with our players, okay? I said, guys, look, man, I'm always gonna pray about the weather, uh, I'm always going to do it. Um, now, we, we've played in rain, we've played in snow, I've had practices canceled because of lightning, I've had lightning delays, okay, but I'm still gonna pray, okay? And I tell our guys I'm praying. So we go out to Monday's practice and I was like, Lord, you gotta lower the temperature in, um, in Pensacola and you got to raise the temperature in Michigan. Exact same experience, almost to the timeline, except Tuesday and Wednesday was really cold in Pensac- uh, Pensacola. So for those of you who live in this area, I apologize for the bad weather uh, that you had in, in 17 and 19 in the month of uh, December, but my team played really well, okay? So I'm excited about that. Now, here's, here's, what, here, here, here's what has come of that because I'm not afraid to pray it and I'm not afraid to pray it in front of my team. I can't tell you how many players have now come to me and asked me to pray for their mom who's not doing well, asked me to pray for their brother who's not doing well, asked me to pray for, that was not the purpose of what I was trying to do. I was just trying to present everything that I have and everything that I'm in charge of To the Lord. Okay? Uh, Our guys, it's 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 really fun. uh, and it also gives me another opportunity to to say this line. You know, we'll go out to practice and it'll stop raining, and we'll practice for two hours and then it'll start raining again. And they're like, Oh, the Shinnick shield, it's up, yeah, this is happening. Coach, how do you control the weather? What are you? A magician? What is that? And it's like, no, guys, I don't control the weather, but I pray to the God who does, okay? And it's a great opportunity to say, look, well, coach, why is it still raining? God doesn't want you out there right now. Pretty simple, okay? So it works both ways, but it's opened up numerous doors. In my prayer life, not afraid to put anything in front of God and not afraid to see what he's going to say, okay? I mentioned in Marquette, Michigan, we're out of a job, okay? Um, And when you're out of a job, you start questioning, okay, what am I supposed to do and where am I supposed to be? And our head coach got fired in January and um, I was named interim coach, which all that meant was I had to do the work of about five guys because they fired all the assistants until they hired a new coach. So I did that. And then the new coach came in and said, ah, you don't fit my staff. I'm not hiring you. I'm like, okay. So during that time, I was constantly praying, Lord, am I supposed to stay in coaching? is this the profession that you want me in? Because Lord, I'll do whatever you want. Tracy and I had been married, as I said, we spent a year in Clemson. We spent two years in Corvallis. We lived in two different houses. We moved to Marquette. We were there nine months and now we're gonna go to another place. I did not want to be that guy that just constantly move around, go, do whatever. But I also wanted to be faithful for whatever God had for me. And wherever he had me, I wanted to be. And so as I'm out of a job I'm looking my contract runs till May 15th specifically here in my quiet time after I'm saying lord you know help me get a job lord this job's out there where do you want me what you know boom 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 but in the quietness of the prayer in the time specifically heard him say I want you to coach So that really fired me up and I'm an instant kind of gratification kind of guy. That's great because I was interviewing with a D1 school in uh, uh, a couple of weeks and I was like, oh, that's great. That's where he wants me. Good, God, you want me to coach? I interview, they don't offer me the job. It's like, okay, Lord, I'm pretty sure I heard you. You wanted me to coach, but in order to do that, I need a team, okay? I need people to coach. And he just kept reiterating, I want you to coach. Well, from mid-March to mid-May, Interviews, no job, interviews, no job, interviews, no job. And then actually got an interview. And on the way to that job, I stopped by another school that had an opening and just said, hey, I'd be interested in your job too because I'm looking for any job. I don't get the job I was going to interview for. I get the job that I was just popped in on. And really from that moment forward, have never really questioned, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And really, one of my prayers is, Lord, this is your team. Show me how to lead this team. This is your group of coaches. Show me how to lead them. This is the administration you've placed around me. What type of an example can I be for them? And Lord, guide me through this process. The second time that I really felt, I mean, to to share with you guys, just hearing God um, was around my daughter's birthday. And um, we had bought a trampoline And we were going to have a party. And I did not want to put the trampoline together because that's not my strength. Um, I can tell people where to put things and do things, that type of thing. I'm good at that. But, you know, I am not very good. There was nobody to hire. I'm going to have to put this trampoline together. And then, you know, and I loved having it. Don't get me wrong on this. But then, you know, we buy a trampoline that's got the safety net all the way around it. So it's twice as much stuff to put up. You know, when I was growing up, we were bouncing off fences off that thing. You know what I mean? It was no big deal. But now we got the safety nets. So okay, I got to put that up. I got to do that. And I am really dreading putting this thing up. And really, I told, um, I told my daughter, Rachel, who Rachel is unbelievable. She is um, she's on the mission field right now. Uh, God has called her to... Uh, Serve him. I mean, she's had she's had some extremely difficult uh, places. She spent three years in Hawaii, and now she's in Italy. So God is, you know, God has called her to the no. Just she's doing amazing work. I I use that. She's phenomenal. But Rachel's the most gracious child that I have, and she's like, oh, Daddy, it's okay. You know, you're gonna put it together. I'm like, well, it's raining. You know, it's raining. I don't know if I can put it together in the rain. And she's like, oh, I know you'll figure it out. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's yeah, great. Um, so as I'm praying, um, I'm training my team and we're getting ready for spring ball. But in my quiet time that week, I, I mean, as clear as day, I hear God say, don't you coach in the rain. And so I said, oh, I need to get my guys out in conditioning in the rain. Cause we're going to play a rain. We, we need to be out running because we've been doing everything inside. Cause it was raining. It's like, oh that's great. I coach in the rain. I need to train in the rain. This is awesome. Great insight. So I kind of run with that for about a day and my guys hate me because we're out in the rain doing stuff. And then my daughter, Rachel goes, well, daddy, are you going to put that um, trampoline together? And I'm like, well, it's, it's raining, honey. You know, it's, it's raining. I can't get out in the rain and do that. Yeah. You guys are smart. You figured it out. So then it's like, don't you coach in the rain? So you mean to tell me you can stand out on a field for three and a half hours and watch your guys play a game in the rain? You can stand out there for three hours in a practice and coach and do your job, but you can't put a trampoline together because it's raining? Okay, that's convicting. All right, that speaks. I I understand that. So it was drizzling. And then when I went out there, it rained really hard the whole time. Got the trampoline together, rain stops, we have a party, it's unbelievable, trampoline's up. But I was like, all right, I'm gonna listen to God. I'm I'm, I'm gonna hear, I'm gonna hear what God has to say. The third example I wanna share with you, and this really wasn't during my quiet time, this really wasn't during my prayer time, I was preparing for a, uh, uh, a coaches uh, conference where I was going to share on the inside zone. I love the inside zone, uh, run the inside zone every way possible. Um, you know, they say 10,000 hours of teaching something, you become an expert on it. I'd like to think I'm somewhere close to that. And at this time in my late to, um, or mid to late 30s, I've been doing the inside zone really since my first year of coaching O-line and became an offensive coordinator and then became a head coach, called plays, the whole thing. And so as I'm preparing for the inside zone and I am talking myself through the talk, talking about what type of step the center needs to take. If he's got a shade to the front side, if he's got a shade to the back side, what type of combo block we need to get to, where the back needs to stay, how his shoulders need to be, how we want to read the linebackers and what we want to do. And I mean, I'm feeling really, really good about my talk. And I'm feeling really, really good about what I'm going to be able to share with these guys. And as I sat back, reflected, okay, what do I need to say next? I heard the Lord say, I want you to know me that well. Think about that. Think about that. So, he's called me to coach. I got to be good at my. You know, I got. got. I got. I, I got to be good at my job. All right. Um, we have three. We have three goals for our program: uh, help each player become a better husband, father, employer, employee; graduate in four or four and a half years, and play great football. Okay. Every time I interview for a job, I'm like, look, uh, I understand if, uh, you know, if I don't do the third, you're going to fire me. Uh, I completely get that. Uh, so, uh, I want to play great football. That that's, that's part of what I'm called to do. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm called to coach this team to the best of my ability, but God also says, I want you to be great at your job. I've called you to do it, but I want you to know me as well as you know that. So that's a tremendous charge. Okay. Okay. And I don't think I'm the only one who's gotten that charge. I don't think I'm the only person in here that God has not shared that with somehow, some way, in some shape or form, but that's really what he wants. He wants you to know him as well as you possibly can. Um, I'm amazed at how God's word speaks to me, truly am. Um, I have, since that time, tried to read through the Bible uh, daily, tried to read through it every year, Every day I want to read something and every year I want to get through the Bible. I'm amazed at what I wrote and uh, highlighted in 2017 still speaks to me, but four verses later I'm underlining something new that now applies to 2022. God's word is alive and well. God's word speaks. God's word does not, uh, you, you, you know, change. And whatever season you're in, whatever you're reading at that moment has an opportunity to apply with where you are. You got to get in his word to understand what he wants you to say or what he wants to say to you and what he wants you to hear. You've got to be able to do that. The songs that we sang were fantastic and, you know, pure God in timing this thing up that it really played to what I was going to say. But if you're only grabbing scripture or phrases of scripture from the songs you sing, you're really missing out on an intimate intimate relationship that God wants to have with you through his word by speaking to you daily and showing you how he wants you to live for him. And so I'm gonna wrap this up with two, uh, two stories or two verses, two sections uh, of the word that I have just kind of found fascinating where they play out uh, and how they play out. I've, 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 uh, I've learned so much. And I continue to learn so much as to who God is and what he has in store for us. But in Genesis 3, 1 through 7, God shows us how we're gonna be tempted, tricked, and deceived by the enemy, okay? So here's here's what I want you to know. First book of the Bible, there's 66 books. First book of the Bible, 66 books. The third chapter, there's over 1,180 chapters in the Bible. The third chapter, okay? The 57th chapter through the 63rd verse, 65th verse shows you what you're in for, okay? There's over 31,000 verses in the Bible. He takes time in the first book, the third chapter, the 57th verse to show you what you're gonna be up against for the rest of your life. Adam and Eve are talking to God. They're walking with him in the garden and he is talking to them, he is sharing with them. They're the only people to talk to God. He gives them some commands, he gives them some guidelines. Then all of a sudden, Satan shows up and he starts questioning what God said. Did he really say that? Is that what he said? Well, Adam and Eve are the only people who'd ever heard God talk. And now here comes Satan, one conversation. Did he really say that? Is that really what he said? He's a liar. All right, he's the father of lies. And he's gonna do everything he can to twist God's word, to manipulate it. He's gonna do everything he can to get you to question, is that really what God wants? Is that really what God desires for you? Is that really the direction he wants you to go? I'm gonna throw a bunch of stuff in your way to see just how grounded you are, what foundation you've really built to see if you're gonna stay true. Old Testament starts that way. It's amazing to me, the New Testament does the same thing. Four chapters in, in Matthew, verses three through 11. Satan's talking to Jesus, okay? Now, he took Adam and Eve where they were. They didn't have much basing. They were young Christians, so to speak, all right? He just went out, popped off on them pretty quick. Watch what he does to Jesus, okay? He waits till Jesus is at his lowest point. He doesn't tempt him day 10. He doesn't tempt him day 20. He doesn't tempt him day 30. He tempts him day 40 at the end of his fast. Why does he do that? Because he knows Jesus is a different creature, all right? Jesus is a little different. But here's what's amazing. Satan uses scripture to try to deceive, trick, tempt Jesus. That's fascinating to me. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God. Jesus wrote those words Jesus is those words. But Satan's using his words to try to trick him at his lowest point. I mean, really, that'd be like me going to Bill Walsh, the father of uh, you know, West Coast offense and saying, hey, Bill, really, this is what you need to do. This is how this thing needs to go. Having a conversation with Bill Gates about Microsoft. Hey, really, is that what you said? Is that really what it meant? What? Think about that. Satan's tempting Jesus with Jesus's words. And then Jesus gives us the ultimate example. He just fires back and says, no, you took that out of context, this is what God's word means. This is what God's word says. If Satan's tempting Jesus with scripture, how will he try to tempt you and me? How will he try to tempt this society? We need to know God's word and we need to know it well. We're in a time where it is getting questioned, it's on the internet, it's being manipulated, it's being flipped, it's being turned. We need to know God's word and we need to know it well. We have a saying in our program that we talk a lot about. It's how we play, not who we play. And unfortunately, I've been a head coach long enough where I got more losses than I'd like, but I can pretty much take you back uh, in every one of those losses uh, as to an area I could have done better, my team could have done better, we could have done something better. And so we've really told our team that our best is good enough to beat anybody in the country. And we have a program theme that's the Greek word arete, which is excellence of any kind and living up to your fullest potential. We tell them, if you live up to your fullest potential, we'll play anybody in America. All right? We have no fear in that. And so with that, in my Christian walk, okay, I don't care what's thrown against me. I don't care what comes at me. It ain't gonna be easy. But again, as, we, you know, as, as was talked about in Matthew five, the firm foundation, John four, four. This is my equivalent to it's how we play, not who we play in my, in my walk. John four, First 4. John four, four, excuse me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We serve a big God. Don't live a little life. Don't allow the enemy to take away your joy, your peace, your passion, your life. Give it to the Lord. He's got an amazing plan for you. If you're a guest, please come back next week. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for Summit Church. I thank you for uh, JP's uh, leadership. Lord, I just pray your blessing and favor and presence to be upon them as they move forward and do great things in this community. I just pray for your hand to guide them. Uh, May they always seek you in all that they do. Uh, May your hand be upon them. Lord, your presence with them and your blessing to be with them in all that they do. We praise you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that's coming up. Football season's coming. Thank you for the players here. Thank you for the coaches here. Lord, may they impact and influence their community in a positive way for you. We praise you, Lord. We pray these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.